The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning, and again, uh, welcome to our guests, and uh, big day. I want to say thank you. Uh, first time I've been in front of all of you uh, since, but thank you, students, for a great homecoming weekend last weekend. Thank you for the staff, for all the work. Uh, from the garden party to the athletic competitions. It was a great weekend, and I uh, hope you had a good week recovering uh, because uh, fall break is right around the corner. All right. That's, yeah, that, that, that's a little weak, but thanks. Uh, good. <laughs> fall break is right around the corner. And uh, just want to let you know that we are uh, praying for you uh, as students that uh, at this point in the semester as you... Uh, have the first flurry of exams and papers and those things that are piling up. Uh, we're praying that God would give you grace and strength equal to the tasks set before you to fulfill the student's life and calling. So we are praying for you. We're praying for you as guests that God would give you wisdom in the decisions that are in front of you. And uh, it's just a great privilege to be able to gather together in chapel, uh, to pray and to sing together, to read God's Word and to, uh, to teach and to think about our life in relationship to God, to His Word and to His Son, Jesus Christ, as we think about what it means to live and walk in the Spirit. So uh, this morning, as was said, we're going to continue this series on the marks we bear, the marks of Jesus re-examining ourselves as his followers. And so uh, what we're going to do is look at this mark of selflessness. We've looked at the mark of obedience. We've looked at the mark of forgiveness. And today I want to look at the mark of selflessness, primarily from Philippians 2, but moving around particularly to a couple of passages in the Gospel. We're talking about the marks we bear. Remember, when we started this series at the beginning of the year, we're actually borrowing that from the passage in Galatians where Paul says, I bear in my body and on my body the marks of Jesus. And Paul was referencing physical marks from the beatings and the stonings and, and the trials and tribulations that he experienced as a follower of Jesus Christ. What would compel him to endure those things and keep on? The mark of obedience, that his faith compelled him to live obediently. Because faith leads us to obedience, and unbelief and a lack of faith leads us to disobedience. But that mark was not Paul's alone. He was bearing in his body the spiritual mark of obedience, which is a mark that we see in the life of Jesus himself in the garden praying, not my will but yours. That the thing that Jesus came to do was the will of the Father, and he fulfilled that. He was focused on that. He came to fulfill the will of the Father. Jesus did what God wanted. And we talked about bearing that mark ourselves to bear the mark of obedience, to want to live a life pleasing to the Lord. Then we looked at the mark of forgiveness, that Paul talks about the importance of forgiving one another, and Jesus actually teaches it. We're to forgive, as he said to Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven. We are to forgive because we are forgiven. And we talked about the mark of forgiveness being something that Christians should be known for because we know what it means to have the slate wiped clean. Today I want to talk about this mark of selflessness. It is a mark borne by the Apostle Paul. It is a mark that we see in the life of Jesus, and it's a mark that should be on us as his followers. And so we think about this. Paul, obviously, how is Paul bearing this mark? Not just the physical marks, but now this spiritual mark of selflessness. How do we see it manifest in the life of Paul? Well, in this passage that Dean Porcello read for us, we have that great teaching about what it means to think of others more important than yourself. But at the end of that chapter, Paul references this, 
that he's, even if he's being poured out like a drink offering, the Apostle Paul does not see his life as something he is to protect and preserve. Rather, his life lived in obedient submission to the will of the Father is that even if he is poured out, never to return to the vessel in which it presently is housed, poured out, he does it willingly because his life is not his own. He exists for a different purpose, for a higher purpose. He's not preoccupied with himself. He says, even if I'm poured out like a drink offering, so be it. So be it. And that mark of selflessness we see in the life of the Apostle Paul, his obedience in, in bearing those adversities and those trials, what we see is that there's a degree of selflessness that has to come to bear. In his obedience, he sets aside self. It's an important mark in the life of the Christian. And in this passage that was read in Philippians chapter 2, which we'll come back to a couple of times this morning, we're to do nothing from vain rivalry or vain conceit, but rather in humility count others more significant than ourselves. Now let me just say at the outset, I am not asking you to not be attentive to issues related to loving yourself and caring for yourself in ways that are responsible. The Lord Jesus drew away by himself to pray, to be refreshed in relationship to the Father. There is an, an, uh, an issue of personal responsibility that you must uh, assert and exercise. I'm not asking you to jettison that. What I am asking you to think about is that even in doing that, we do it in obedience to God to be a better servant of his so that we can serve others more fully. Even in that self-care, which is a problem in our culture, the preoccupation with self-care, Christians do self-care that we might not grow weary in doing well. Not simply to make ourselves feel better or to make ourselves the center of our lives, because that's not the case. The Christian is called to do something else. But I'm not now talking about that. That needs to be attended to. What I want to talk about is this issue of this mark of selflessness and the way we bear it. Because the mark of selflessness is essential to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we see this in Paul's example in teaching here in Philippians. But it is also a mark that we see in the life of Jesus. In John chapter 10, where Jesus teaches us about what he came to do as the good shepherd, we know that Jesus gives us not just the example, but also teaching regarding his own selflessness. He says here that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. It's the mark of Jesus that he is selfless. He lays down his life. Jesus is our teacher and example of selflessness, to be sure, but he's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And this is important to note. No one takes it from him. Jesus is not a victim. He's a sacrificial Savior who willingly lays down his life for the sheep. He so loves and cares for us that he has laid down his life for us. He's not a victim. He's a sacrificial servant and Savior who set aside comfort and ease for you and for me. It's a picture of ultimate selflessness. And Jesus talks about this as the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. But Jesus is not just giving us this teaching and example referring to himself. This is, in fact, his call for all of us. 
The mark of selflessness is essential to being a disciple of Jesus. His call on our lives is not only to deny ourselves, but to take up our cross and follow him. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34 and 35, we see this very clearly. Jesus says here, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. It isn't just that Jesus does this. Jesus calls his disciples to do likewise. He calls us not just to deny ourselves, but to take up our cross daily and follow him. It's an incredible, an incredible instruction. It's the calling of the disciple. In other words, you can be curious about Jesus. You can admire Jesus. You can even like Jesus. But if you love him and want to serve him and want to follow him, this you must do. You must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and follow him. This is what Jesus did, and this is what he expects his disciples to do. This is his calling for our lives. Disciples of Jesus are to be selfless ones. That's important because if you think about what it means to follow Jesus Christ in this world, from the moment these words were uttered by Jesus to today as you and I sit here, the world has always been a hard place for Christians to live. It's never been easy. Sometimes we look back fondly and say, oh, in the more wholesome days of decade X or generation this. But the truth is, for the followers of Jesus Christ, we're going against human nature. Because when Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, he's asking you to go against everything that is in us as sinful human beings to think only of ourselves and not of others or anything greater. It's never been easy for Christians to do this. But we're to follow the teaching and example of Jesus for sure, but we're also to recognize that we are to carry out this lifestyle of being selfless. Now, in thinking about Paul's instruction and what Jesus is calling us to do, I think it's important to remember this, that being selfless is not as easy as it appears. We're not selfless simply because we do nice things for others. We're selfless because we consider others more important than ourselves and act accordingly. That's really the issue. So we look at a disciple, someone who claims to be one who follows the teaching and instruction of Jesus, one who is his servant. We should see in their life a pattern of placing others ahead of themselves, of considering others more important than themselves. And then their actions follow after that perspective. We see it in the life of Jesus we see it in the life of his disciples, particularly after Pentecost, and we see it in the life of Paul in this passage that was read for us earlier. It is not just about doing for others, it's considering them more important. And I would say this, when we think of this too, we think of selfless, these random acts of kindness that we talk about in our culture, which are great, but being selfless is more complex than doing nice things for people. Sometimes the hardest and most selfless thing that you can do is to speak hard truth into someone else's life for their benefit. Because in doing so, you know it's going to cost you something. It makes you uncomfortable. It might make them uncomfortable. It might cost you a superficial friendship. But trust me, doing something for the betterment and in the best interest of someone else is an act of love and grace and selflessness that has high value regardless of the experiential and circumstantial outcome. 
It's about being more, being more selfless. It's not about just doing nicer things for people. It's sometimes doing the hard and most selfless things we can do, like confronting sin or offering encouragement in a dark time or speaking, as I said, hard truth into someone else's life for their benefit. These are the things that we have to do. The selflessness that we see in Jesus Christ is borne out, not just in his, his sacrificial death on the cross, but even in the passage that I read where Jesus calls his disciples to deny themselves and take up their cross. Just prior to that is when Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Very harsh thing to say. But what he was doing was an act of kindness and selflessness for Peter in the presence of witnesses to say, what is most important for you is to want what God wants, not what you want, Peter. One of the things that we do in selflessness isn't just demonstrate selflessness ourselves, but call out to others their own preoccupation with self. Peter wants what he wants, and Jesus will not allow him to do so. He corrects him. Because he loves him and cares for him and is selfless in his relationship with Peter. Selflessness for us is then not just random acts of kindness. It should have relational impact. Think about this with regard to love. This is what 1 Corinthians 13, or 1 Corinthians 13 teaches about love, right? It's not selfish. It doesn't seek its own, its, its own interests. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It is other-oriented. If you're in a relationship with someone friend or otherwise, where you think you're loving, but you are constantly in, in, a, in a situation where someone is only saying, only loving you because of what they get rather than what they give, run the other way. Love is giving. Love is about the other. It's not about your own gratification. Jesus said, there's no greater love than this. What? That someone lay down his life for another. I was thinking about this, and, and there's a very powerful illustration. I don't do this very often, but bear with me, because I had this very strong image in my mind as I was reading these passages this week. My parents came to faith uh, in their 40s. I was a teenager when they became Christians. But I remember struggling with this issue of laying down your life for another person and what it means to be truly selfless long before I and my parents and my brothers came to faith in Jesus. And I remember very clearly after becoming a Christian, looking back on this incident in my life as a clear picture of the gospel. When I was nine or ten years old, very early in the morning I awoke when everyone else was still sleeping on a Saturday morning in the winter. I found myself in the living room and turned on the TV, kept the volume down low, and drew myself in as close to the gray haze as possible. found an old movie, one that you would never watch today probably because it's in black and white. There are no pyrotechnics, no CGI, no superheroes with cool uniforms or costumes, no weird futuristic stuff. It was a movie produced in 1940 about the Fighting 69th, New York's National Guard Regiment, comprised mostly of Irish immigrants. Jimmy Cagney stars in it as a man named Jerry Plunkett a tough street kid who joins the army and goes off to fight in the First World War. The other key figure is a chaplain paid by Pat O'Brien, Father Duffy. And in this movie, made in 1940, while Europe is at war and America is contemplating entering the war, Warner Brothers produces a film about this young man's experience. And the Cagney character was really, really something. It jumped off the screen at me, even as a young boy. He was always in fights 
always pressing for his own interests, always trying to cut corners, always trying to break the rules, always pushing back against authority, fighting his own insecurity, his own personal demons, his own sense of insufficiency, his own place as a a kid who grew up in the rough-and-tumble world of that community in New York, trying to find a way for himself, trying to make space for himself. Very clear throughout the movie, that's what he's doing. Oftentimes it portrayed itself in in a kind of bravado, picking fights with his top sergeant, pushing back against regulations, breaking rules, getting in trouble. Then the unit, the Fighting 69th, which is a storied unit going back to the Civil War, where people fought alongside of their brothers and their neighbors, the way that the military was organized at that time. They get shipped off to the European theater for the First World War, and the Cagney character Jerry Plunkett finds himself in combat. And it is revealed that he struggles with cowardice and fear. He's worried about preserving his own life. And that fear of preserving his own life, which is a larger picture of his earlier struggles with wanting to make room for himself and protect himself from being hurt or harmed or wronged, Cagney struggles with it and in combat exhibits cowardice. And the result of his cowardice is that two brothers of his, command, of his master sergeant are killed. The Cagney character, Jerry Plunkett, is brought up on charges of court-martial, and he is found to be waiting in a cell. While he's waiting in his cell in the prison that also serves as a hospital, there's a German bombardment which destroys large portions of the building and knocks his cell open. Cagney sees it as his opportunity. Plunkett sees it as an opportunity to run for the hills, to desert, to leave, to flee this God-forsaken experience and protect himself and run away. And as he's leaving, he sees the chaplain caring for wounded soldiers in the midst of this bombardment which was continuing. And the example of the chaplain holding at risk of his own life to care for those wounded men who were facing imminent death catches Plunkett off guard. And as he runs from the building and considers running away, rather he turns and runs toward the fight. He runs towards the fight and finds himself in a foxhole where his wounded buddies are trying to run a mortar, a weapon that they can't run. Cagney tells him, teach me how to do this, and he fends off a German advance with this weapon, this mortar weapon. That would be heroic enough and selfless enough, and I remember as a 10-year-old boy being riveted to that story. There he is. He ran towards the fight. He's in the foxhole with his friends. He's running a mortar. He doesn't know how to do it. He's fending them off. What a great picture of sacrifice. And then something really powerful happens. A German grenade finds itself in the foxhole, and Jerry Plunkett throws himself on the grenade, sacrificing his life for his friends. And as a little boy, I remember looking at that saying, that's what men do. That's what we do. Now, on this side of my adult life, I say, that's what women do too. That's what we do if we're committed to Jesus Christ. We throw ourselves into the fray with little concern for ourselves because that's what Jesus did. And that's what his followers did who were compelled by faith in him and obedience. They forgive boldly. They love greatly. They do not hold back. They do not protect themselves. They throw themselves into the fray. The mark of the Christian is to live that kind of selfless existence. We do not fear death. We do not fear ridicule. We do not fear persecution. So what's holding us back? Well, we live in a culture that makes it very difficult because not only do we not see great examples of selflessness portrayed on a regular basis, our culture seems to be preoccupied with self. And the mark of selflessness lived out in our culture is somewhat problematic. It's hard to be selfless in our context. How many times a day do we use the word selfie? 
How many pictures on your phone are of yourself? How much of your social media expression can be summed up by this? Watch me, watch myself. Watch me, watch myself. Very hard to be selfless in a culture that seems to be telling us explicitly and implicitly at every turn, you are the most important thing in the universe. Brothers and sisters, we are not. The advance of the gospel is the thing that we live for. To be the servants of the Lord who sacrificed himself on our behalf is what we live for. To be selfless is an outworking of our commitment to Jesus Christ, not something we do to impress others or show that we're better citizens than someone else. It's an outworking of the grace and love and mercy that's been shown us through the selflessness of Jesus. If we want to be selfless in a culture that is pushing us in the other direction, we need to only look to Jesus. He said, I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me. I lay it down. And here's the beauty of it, because we just sang this together, and you seem very enthusiastic about it. He says, I lay it down, and I take it up again. As Christians, we can embrace this idea of selflessness because we know that no matter how hard it gets, no matter how much we're pushing against our nature and the nature of those around us, no matter how hard it is in a context that undermines selflessness, we know that victory is assured. Jesus, who was crucified, dead, and buried, rose again, you and I will be resurrected or changed at the end. And at that time, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. So why would we hold back? Why would we hold back? The marks we bear, the series is intended to get us to reflect upon our own commitment to Christ and our own life as his disciples. My hope and prayer is that sometime this weekend you will stop and think about the degree to which you have been duped by your nature and by the culture to place yourself at the center of your life and world. The ways in which you have been influenced to consider yourself more important than others rather than the other way around. Take some time. Let us examine ourselves that we might find ourselves wanting to please the Lord by denying ourselves and taking up our cross to follow Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and grace to us, for the privilege that we have to know you and to be known by you. We thank you for the freedom we enjoy to open your word. We thank you for this teaching regarding the setting aside of ourselves. We pray for grace that you would enable us to be honest with ourselves and one another, that we might consider the degree to which we have placed ourselves at the center of our life and world, that we might be honest with those around us as well, that we might love one another and spur one another on to love and good deeds, that we might fix our eyes on you, that we might fix our eyes on your son Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, our teacher, our example, our good shepherd, and our savior, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great day, a great weekend.